Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, fellow listeners of a free audiobook through audibletrial.com slash aceofgeeks. This is the Ace of Geeks podcast. We are wizards, we are crewmen, we are Jedi superhuman, warriors fighting on the side of good. We are DMs, we are players, we are hardened undead slayers, elven archers roam the enchanted wood. We all pretend to be something so why not pretend to be something interesting nerd on my friends nerd on keep it up and we can rule the world whatever you love is not wrong there's power in your phantom keep strong nerd on Thank you very much, Ben Friedman, uh, frontman and uh, I would say like coordinating host of RPOK, one of our uh, a podcast in our small family of podcasts, or maybe it's more like a dojo of podcasts or a Pokemon gym of podcasts. I will take all and any and all of those things. <laughs> they are all immediately relevant to my interests. What do you call a group of podcasts? What is the collective noun for a group of podcasts? I don't know. Hey. Can we just call it a murder and get it out of the way? Out of the way, I feel like not, that's the best term going for multiple anything. Not every multiple thing could be a murder. That just makes it less cool for crows, and they'd complain. That's so, true. And you, crows are smart enough to do that. All right. Why don't we call it something like? Uh, I really wanted a to sheaf, call it a, a sheaf of podcasts, like a sheaf of papers. like a sheaf of paper. Yeah. Let's rifle exactly. through these podcasts here and see which podcast yeah. I'd like to pull out of the stack. Yeah, um, that I mean seems... it doesn't have it doesn't make much sense, but that does seem appropriate though, if for no other reason than when I'm dealing with podcasts, um, if there are a lot of them, I get weighed down very quickly. Even though I think that one podcast is only yeah. going to have a certain number of episodes, and oh, I'll get through oh, this fairly quickly. And then there's 24, and you're like, I have 2,000 episodes of things. Maybe this is a bad idea. So like the single sheath becoming a uh, weighty bound book. Right, it's yes. a ream. It's a ream of podcasts. A ream of podcasts. <laughs> I'm gonna. Re- that sounds like I'm gonna ream your podcast. All right, that's up. Is it ream like a structure? Like when you hit something when you ream a car? What is that? That's is that ram? It, it no, sounds I like think... a cross between ram and reeve. No, I thought ream is where you sideswipe a car or something or take off the edge. I feel like yes, there's a much yes, more. Yes, we mean Aretha papers. There's a <laughs> there's a much yes. more uh, technical definition for this that I can't think of. Uh, but my Oxford dictionary was in my other pants, so. A. Um, that is why I like to keep my Oxford dictionary, on a chain around my neck, so that it doesn't matter exactly what I'm wearing, as long as there is a word, there's a will, and a definition. That sounds like a weighty decision. It can be pretty heavy, but 
Oh man, I should have said I like to see the world in high definition. Oh, oh. Ah, that would have been good. Oh, jeez. That oh. that pun was nearly worthy of my show. Oh, that was so bad. <laughs> well played. Um, thank you. Thank you. Uh, there's so many uh uh words one could use to describe a dictionary. Um, so the reason we are here, uh, one, Mike is not in the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, I have been hanging out with, uh, with Ben Moore online and we realized how easy this was and we could just true. make an online podcast, like a podcast using the internet. It's for the internet and it's made with the internet. It's, it's very wholesome brilliant. in that way. Yeah. It's an internet enabled podcast. It's like how the government is supposed to be by the people for the people. This podcast is by the internet for the internet. You know, I can actually get behind that. That makes me sound a lot more uh, positive and crusady than a, a couple of guys getting together and making terrible jokes and talking about role playing games. But in fairness, there is they're both nothing, fun. There's <laughs> nothing about what you described that sounds like a crusade. You're right. Except maybe the crusade where they hung out outside of Constantinople and then realized they weren't going to go. To the Holy Land, saying, "You know what? Fuck uh, the uh, uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church. We're Catholic. Suddenly, we hate them." Right. Let's go ahead and start. Oh, yeah. That's well. That's a classic. Let's start a religious yeah. war in order to satisfy our political issues. And then, once the we religious war the doesn't pan out, we'll just start an even smaller religious war amongst our constituent parts. Um, speaking of which, shall we rain down fire and terror upon your podcast as I invade it, or are you invading me? Um, I feel like if this is going to get, I, this it seems like uh, I'm either invading or you're you're inviting me in, and this is about to turn into a Game of Thrones scene. I suppose it could turn either way. If I don't invite you in, can you not talk on the podcast if you are a podcast vampire? That's. Did you hang garlic outside the podcast? I, I just wonder if I have to nail, uh, um, hammer a nail into the boot of the podcast. I feel like with me, it probably involves a mezuzah somehow. But uh, that, that just depends on which of us is showing up, though. Because, you see, I've, I've got the one polite. thing going. Zach, yeah. Zach is more of a line of chalk kind of guy, I would say, as far as uh, how to keep he him sounds, out of the podcast. Yeah, that sounds pretty uh uh, logical very hermetic right clear-cut. and uh chris on the other hand is more of a nordic god i'm not sure what you do to stop them besides bribe them with ale or mead which by the way um, should work except for the fact that bad bad luck if you can you can gaius a nordic god out of or into doing anything if the norns say that it'll happen they'll just fucking do it that's because I, so you need to bribe the norns this seems like the stone cold stu- school of nordic gods just because stone cold said so <laughs> if, without because Mike here, somebody Norn has to make so. terrible wrestling references for no good reason. That's what I'm good for. That that's true. That's true. Um, now we're all. Uh, it is fair. Other what would balance out my random mage references? Um, wrestling. So to be fair, uh, it, this is the Ace of Geek slot. So I would like to welcome you, Ben Friedley, into our podcast. Well, thank Please. you. Here's the stand. You can put your umbrella there. Make sure the shoes get put on the mat because they're wet it's been raining you know uh hold on i I may have forgotten my shoes it's uh it's been a long day can i get you some tea can i get you anything (laughs) a hot towelette why thank you no i'm quite set i appreciate it please have a Um, seat make yourself at home and don't talk to the snakes but there are just snakes hanging out going like sup 
they they just said hello. It would be impolite <laughs> to. Uh, uh, well, all right. I suppose you say am, so. I am literally describing a uh, panel in the newest Doctor Strange run. Uh, there he's leading a girl through his apartment who wants i think an investigation thing and he's like all right here's the apartment don't touch anything and absolutely do not talk to the snakes snakes and she says the snakes talk and the snakes like sup girl (laughs) i forgot about that (laughs) just sup girl (laughs) no it's it's nice to be back on the show um being on the show in the first place was really what kind of uh launched my joining the ace of geeks as a writer and eventually as Uh, a, a podcast contributor Warm so, feelings, warm feelings. Warm fuzzies from you making the trip all the way up to my house so we could record when another time that Mike was busy. Um, oh, just, yes, yes. I'm sort of, I'm one of several break glass in case of lack of mics that you keep around. Um, so it's it's nice to be useful that way. That is good. You, you just need a couple good. of, well, I, I can never be a spare mm-hmm. mic. I can't nearly do a Wookiee impression. I can't well do it does. either. Yeah. I, I struggle with most technical things that he has down pat. I need my fiance's help on most all of them. Well, I mean, on the bright side, you've got help, which is... Yeah, you know, that's true. I do have some help. And now you've got a podcast. Um, or rather, you are you already have a... I'm, you're on a... I'm on a podcast now the that I've been on for a few years. I don't know what you're saying. All right. Are you invading my podcast? I am not invading your podcast. I invited you in here. You you taped a line down the middle of the podcast and said, "Stay in your on your side." And I respect your line. I think you're just reading too much into things. That line was a ceremonial. What I do before I make tea. Why did you draw it in chalk? It's be- it's because I'm not always drinking tea, and sometimes you have to wipe it down. <laughs> oh, I assumed you were just trying to keep Zach out of the podcast. <laughs> No, I abjure you. <laughs> so anyway, let's get down to, as they say, the brass of tax. The ace of tax? The spades of black. Wait, that seems like something entirely different, but I like it. Yeah, I like where this is going. Spades of black actually sounds like an amazing novel about spies. Or a maybe a, a metal band of some sort. The spades of black. Uh, it's not quite threatening enough black spades is more of a okay maybe like the spades of night Ooh, the spades of night that could be a painting about an assassination these Hmm. seem like the least brass of brassy tacks so i'm assuming you were getting at something else no these are more tin tacks yes brass tacks ben man the tin tacks is real high i have thanked you for this before and i'll thank you again it was you who got me into mage the ascension um and I, uh, and I've told I you before coming... that I forget that I lent you the book a lot of the yeah, time. Yeah, that's right. I found I rem- the book the other day. I, where I gave it. I gave it back to you, you and you said later on, "Didn't you give me my first mage book?" I'm like, "No, dude, that was your book. I gave it back." I'm sitting there like, "I don't. Uh, okay, I guess so." Because in fairness, um, even if I got the book first, uh, I think mm-hmm. it was there was something there was a reason that I got interested in it in relation to you. And I know that it was you that ended up running our first mage campaign, which was really yes. the... It was sad. sparse. Was the mage campaign before or after Mike ran our feng, our feng shui campaign? Because That was before, I think. That was I when, think we, so. when I still went to USF, remember our yeah. apartment? That was out yeah. back behind Lone Mountain. Yeah, mage was, I think, the first time that we really tried running a game that wasn't like you know 15 people deep or however large the one that mike tried running yeah the first time was or that... wasn't a dungeon dweller or was we ran it? a lot of i wasn't around dweller. for a lot of those um mm-hmm. i was oh, i was around true. for mage and i was around for feng shui both of which are awesome systems mm-hmm. um 
even though we really we got a lot more play out of feng shui because that was just the the personalities that we had at the time and it's it says something about how different those two systems are whether we really had like a fun experience working with both but that the two different groups kind of support different systems differently i think i see what you're saying i've long been a proponent of the idea that um since systems of games can be looked at qualitatively in that some of their qualities produce certain types of play for instance Mm -hmm. um feng shui as a game heightens the wow factor in player agency because it uses uh character description Mm -hmm. as a uh mechanical bonus well and also you can describe the things you do oh right yeah more like that um because uh i when we played feng shui this has come up on our show before but i played an everyman hero who uh was essentially like a jackie chan you know you take something stupid pull out an improvised weapon and do something done with it and get a bonus so the game actually rewards your ability to not only be creative but to do things that are unusual Mm -hmm. and to have some kind of very Mm -hmm. cinematic uh, action movie moments so feng shui is trying to do what it can yeah. to to recreate that atmosphere and to like take that and say i'm going to make something out of it whereas mage really rewards a very different kind of a more uh, sometimes i want to say subversive when i'm referring to mage but it really was always that idea mm-hmm. that um, oh, yeah. paradox was a mechanic that punished you for breaking the way the world works even though your entire point of being a mage was to break the way the world works and in many ways, I think that was their balancing mechanic to make it magic without making it D&D. Because mm-hmm. conceivably, a uh, a mage could... Why don't mages just walk down Main Street throwing fireballs? They could unmake our world in even seeing having people right. see magic and then their belief changing. Right. So they brought Paradox in as a way of saying, well, here's the thing. There, There's a counterbalance, and that counterbalance is the weight of the world not wanting to be changed right well the world sort of fights back which in a way is the same thing yeah. that the game system is doing but it's not that the yes. game system literally fights back at you of course but it does say that there is a a manner in which magic wants to be used and there is a manner in which magic doesn't want to be used which and it has a lot to do with your beliefs and that if you do things that are outside of your beliefs or don't work well within your beliefs or the beliefs of uh local uh, reality reality Uh, you tend to get more paradox. But uh, getting back to atmosphere, I think one of the things I really like about Mage and what it attempts to do, though, um, being in the World of Darkness system, I don't believe it does it as well as it could, um, is try to allow for the creation of any type of atmosphere as created by the player's uh, Mage's aesthetic. They want the character's aesthetic Mm. to bleed out through the world. And they created a large variety of aesthetics... Mm-hmm. Um, that you could call on and ways to call on more. Mm-hmm. Like they have rules for Kung Fu in the same place. They have rules for hyper uh, well, faster and light speed. Systems by creating the like different that. traditions, you set up a system mm-hmm. where you can have uh, multiple different forms of magic because magic mm-hmm. gets such a, instead of having a very rote and design system, like mm-hmm. you find in certain games that have sort of a, a laid out magic system, like, you know, Rollmaster or D&D yes, obviously yes. is the, the obvious yeah. thought. Um, it has that more here's a basic outline for how these traditions treat magic okay now have at it mm-hmm. but um, yeah the magic is much more freeform right one of the um in fact although the two games uh feng shui and mage uh do creatively creativity differently mage has only one mechanic by which uh qualitative narration by players can bring out um 
changes to the narrative, to the story. Mechanical changes, I'm sorry, not to the story. Mechanical changes. And that is magic. Mm -hmm. Magic allows the player to create something whole cloth and then try and fit it into a fairly simple system, right. the sphere system, and magic to is make sort it work. Of, magic is the, the core point of the game mm-hmm. in a way, and it's that focus yeah. because it becomes so all-consuming as to what the players can do. But that, that doesn't necessarily give Mage a single vector, but it gives it a primary one. It does, and that uh, vector is juxtaposed by uh, Feng Shui. If we look at Feng Shui as one game and the Old World of Darkness as one game, mm-hmm. Mage is really the only system that allowed people to do this and the only way you could do it as a mage is if you were doing magic but in feng shui all combat is enhanced by uh the rewarding of qualitative role playing with mechanical benefit (laughs) and is so spread around that i would say that when it comes to rewarding players agency and uh giving great definitive wow moments um at least as a combat game Feng Shui is better than Mage at allowing players to organically influence story. I feel like with uh, with Feng Shui, the, structure, the strictures that are placed on the movie that plays out in your head, because it is meant to be a reflection mm. of an, a Hong Kong action movie. Yeah, it's very similar. Right, you, you, and I, I think that worked really well having Mike as a GM for that, because Mike thinks very cinematically. That's true, he does. Right. Uh, in fact, I found one of the things I liked most about running mage characters for him is that his um, paradigms, uh, while they're never exactly put to words in a way that would be like, oh, it's a witch, it's a, it's a, a Taoist wizard or something like that, the feel of them was always very imagery heavy and you could really tell the style of what he was going for mm-hmm. by the moments he tried to create. Yeah, so I that, feel like a mic character isn't a necessarily like a a cop or a ninja or so much as like a john woo character or uh mm-hmm. like uh there's there's an archetype that goes with them that isn't necessarily based on a class so much as a feel and a design which is exactly which is a very directorial kind of thing to do and it's you know i, I definitely find yeah. that for me i lean more of the the writer route so i'm like building mm-hmm. scenes in my head and you know you you get a similar thing but i know like my the current character that i'm mm-hmm. running in a D campaign is um is built around a pretty simple idea like she's an elf she's a sorceress but the the developing Mm -hmm. stuff all came in when i started trying to look through her background i said okay well then what made her this way what did that mean being a sorceress in a a setting where these are very new and uh and that was sort of how i built out a lot of the concept as opposed to sort of having a concept and saying now how did i get here it was more of a i have Mm -hmm. an idea okay now what does it mean and so i kind of had i built ground up with that one it'll vary for every character but I definitely think that there there are different approaches and not necessarily that different games can support different kind of characters, but I do think different game masters have to look for ways to support different people's methods of playing characters. And that can be pretty tough. I think your last statement is ultimately true. Um, game masters um, need to find ways to support the many different character ideas of their players. But I disagree with your first thing. I think it's absolutely true that certain game systems uh, create certain characters, or at least um, push forward certain gameplay types. Yeah, that, um, that makes sense. This is I have uh, previously in my writings for the Ace of Geeks, um, not so much criticized, but tried to note with an eye of constructive criticism that D and D was in many ways a combat game and always was because mm-hmm. the mechanics of D and D are so 
physics moving units affecting through combat base. Uh, there are far more rules in um, all versions of D&D that deal with the physical consequences of violence, um, even in ways in which spirit and mentality could be considered physical, such as making willpower checks against attacks, right. than it does for, say, social conflict or intellectual conflict. Right, or you would have to find a particular supplement that specifically focuses exactly. on sort of things. So you might say, exactly. like, if we're dealing with the nobles of Waterdeep, then there might actually be an entire supplement on that. And then you can kind yeah. of supplement a game and look at it a little differently, but it's somebody else developing a bolt-on to an existing system. Exactly, and if you do that, I would consider all supplements and thinking, well, what is the majority of the game? Right, um, well, and if and it's I a supplement, it's it wasn't intended D&D's... as a core portion of the game, exactly. essentially, it becomes a bolt-on. Exactly. Right. And I'm not saying that this is to D&D's detriment, but when it comes to storytelling, it makes D&D more locked in to mm-hmm. what it does do and what it does not do. And what D&D does well, and one of the reasons why I like Forth so much, is that D&D does combat and fourth has incredibly streamlined combat yeah fifths it actually isn't too bad um i think it, it toes a line a little bit but it also takes a lot that's of that's true fifth takes it well and fifth is the one that i've played more of um i've read different rules from mm-hmm. most of the editions with the exception of fourth i will say i'm not as familiar with it but with uh, fifth edition D, it definitely spends a lot of time trying to streamline certain things and trying to make certain mechanics much more freeform so you're not dealing with things like to hit armor class zero yeah um, and may they go stay in its grave a long time but there's there's i think i think that one of the things that we forget about gaming systems sometimes is that there wouldn't be so many gaming systems if there wasn't a niche for each one to fill you can't that is a true D&D and, and I th- make a fiasco game yeah easily and i think that is why uh the 90s were so um, rich with um, genre role-playing games such as cyberpunk, um, mm-hmm. such as feng shui, uh, such as um, um, I'd I mean, say I... Um, Call of Cthulhu, things mm-hmm. that filled a very specific genre. However, all of these games were very much like D and D in that their engines were based off of mostly physical interactions. Uh, the Chaosium system that Cthulhu used did add a mental stress track, but right, but it's still, still a mental conflict in. where you're fighting in your heads. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I would say that's valid, but it was like just hit points. There was very little um, mechanics yeah. to mental combat. You were usually given a certain amount of mental threat that you had to work off in a way, cope with, dealt with damage exactly. Um, in the same way. Um, Games like Cyberpunk, I find very D&D-like in the way that... But then again, Cyberpunk is also a very combat-focused genre when it comes to role-playing right. games. And True. I think well, that the role-playing games we're seeing now are slightly more narrative-based, is the yeah. juxtaposition I was well, coming to. I think my question for you in that vein, because I think you have a point, um, because we've really seen... I mean, and, you know, all of these, when we talk about these... These are all games that have existed for a long time. I mean, Call of Cthulhu yeah. predates the 90s. Uh, yes. You know, like Paranoia predates the 90s. Oh, Paranoia. Um, I love that game. Oh, Paranoia is an amazing game. In and many it's very ways, hard to run. It is. I believe have Paranoia is of one of uh, those games that truly embodies satire because playing it mm-hmm. is a satire on role-playing games. Yes, absolutely. As the rules are used to make fun of other role-playing games. 
Yeah, but, but it does I'm it in a way that's very serious and takes itself seriously without doing that's that. True. It's it's very it's very interesting that way, and it's from Within a meta standpoint. Yeah. yeah, from a meta standpoint, that's a, that's mm-hmm. a really good point. But I think you're, what we're seeing now is um, we're seeing an outgrowth of very popular games gaining traction, like Fudge, which is obviously now Fate or uh, yeah. Fiasco. Or uh, to some extent, depending on what version of what you're playing, things like Apocalypse World, where you're dealing with a much more minimalistic system of dice, but what you build around that system depends on the setting. So Dungeon World versus Savage Worlds versus, or sorry, Savage Worlds is a separate thing, but like Dungeon World versus like the worldwide wrestling RPG versus uh, Apocalypse World and so on. I think you're seeing games that are a little bit simpler and are designed to build a story gain a lot more traction. Whereas before, when you were trying to have a game that would have multiple genres, you ended up with GURPS or Rifts. Yeah, and those games tend to be extremely crunch-heavy when it came to trying to balance all of those universal things. Right, they that tried to build rules for everything way, in, instead yeah. of loosening rules for everything. Exactly. Yeah. I, I didn't want to get at this too hard because I feel like you and I can talk up a storm about this, though that might not be a bad thing. But I really feel like Fate is in many ways the answer to a lot of those questions and that it allows for a lot of universality without mm-hmm. heavy rules. And it does yeah. so extremely well. Well, and Fate is the kind of game where you can say almost no matter what the setting, if you want the feel that Fate provides, and I'm going to put that disclaimer out there because of the discussion that we're having in relation to how different systems operate different mm-hmm. games. Yeah. If you want the feel that Fate provides, which is a much looser, everyone is very... Uh, adequate slash talented slash adept at mm-hmm. things um no one goes into a fate game being completely helpless unless they have a very good gm doing up a horror yeah. line but it's not as easy and gameplay is also very um decodified when it comes to items mm-hmm. which a lot of people uh can find very different yeah well i think the the point there that that i, I you may or may not agree with this but i think that there are people that absolutely want a D&D style game that mm-hmm. still, and obviously this always depends on your GM. And I think, uh, for example, that uh, Geek and Sundry's Critical Role is actually a really good example. Matt Mercer is an excellent mm-hmm. game master, in my opinion, uh, for the style that he is doing, which is to take Dungeons and Dragons, but to also give it a world's feeling and to give it character mm-hmm. and give it all I that. I have not heard this. This is a podcast or a video series? I think it's, I want to say it's in both formats, but it is a video series and it's a lot of fun mm-hmm. as a video series. It's a group of voice actors and uh, and other creative luminaries, mostly voice actors, um, who get together. Matt Mercer is a voice actor himself, fairly accomplished one. Um, and oh, fe- figures like you've a, already sold me on these names. Laura Bailey and Travis awesome. Willingham and Talise and Jeff. They're, they're, it's very interesting. And each character has its own particular feel. Now, it helps that they've been playing together for a bit. So it's tough yeah. to look at Critical Role and not think, oh, my games could be like that. And it's like, well, no, not right away. But they can get there. Um, and I think that's a very important thing that um, a lot of people look for in gaming is that they think they're going to um, just be able to start having fun. But sometimes the social dynamics and the way that people work together don't always fit in and they have to grow. Or maybe you have to find a new group that fits you better. There is definitely a chemistry at the table. Mm -hmm. Well, and there's there's also... I do liken it to wrestling a little bit at times because you're playing a character. Mm -hmm. And one of the Mm -hmm. things that you find with wrestling, of all the... it's I guess it's not that outlandish to connect to role-playing in a way. But... um, somebody might go through multiple different iterations of themselves, so to speak, to reinvent themselves with a different gimmick or a different character or a different hook before something clicks. 
And one of the tough things is to come into a group and to start with a concept that you really you don't have something for and to say, I'm going to have fun with this because I'm role playing. And you walk in, and you're like, I have no idea what I'm what this character is or how I'm going to do anything with it. How do I react to things? How do I react? Or how do things... I make them? How do I differentiate them mm. from myself? Or mm-hmm. it's so that I feel like I'm playing something as opposed to just like standing around like, hey, I'm, I'm slum. I'm some schlub from San Francisco standing in the middle of that's an interesting Ansel name mr screen, schlub you know. yeah. yes um Schlubstein, i have to say this is something <laughs> oh i'm sorry that's something i very much like about uh fate is that as a system it's very good for getting to the meat of what your character is mm-hmm. and i think that uh that is because if we're talking about qualitative uh statements affecting mechanics the core thing i i think that draws me to fate is the way that aspects are so central to how everything works, especially characters and how characters interact with the world. You don't get to have a character. Yes. You don't get to have a character until you have a few narrative pieces of what defines that character. Mm -hmm. And I find that extremely important because uh, some games such as world of darkness games have asked me for things like core concept or key idea or something like that. What's your character all about? And then you write something in that box and it affects nothing. It reminds you what you're going for, but there is no help in how to translate what you've written to that box right. to the rules that define gameplay. It's important and to what, you, but it doesn't change your yes, game. In a exactly, way. and doesn't tell you how to change your game. Right. Oh, um, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Okay. Whereas Fate, by separating that idea out into creating different aspects about your character directly gives you a means of building a character that is entirely narrative-based, which means that you can... I use that phrase, narrative, waste so much. It means that you can create a character whom you can play perfect for that character, like write to that character's type, saying exactly what that character would say very quickly, mm-hmm. because who that character is is already written down. It came right from your imagination. It's part of the and system. It is right. And it's already affecting the system, exactly. Yeah, and the system encourages um, you to do that, mm-hmm. which isn't necessarily the same thing that you'll find in a system that's very that's very crunchy. Um, but yes, I, you know that's true. I would I would also throw out though, um, I think that there's so much of a system that can be encouraged by the system. But one of the best things that you can do if you have a system that you like but it doesn't play out quite the way you want, and you've got another idea is you one of the things that you've got to do as you get more comfortable with the system or with being a GM or what have you is being willing to drop stuff and kit bash um, to be able to yes, say, you know, think, on second thought, I'm stealing yeah. this idea from fate or I'm stealing this idea from mm-hmm. dungeons and dragons, or I'm stealing this idea from savage worlds. And I want to make the thing that I liked in another game that fits this game work with this game. Uh, because I think that, each of these games has its place absolutely and i know that that's you know obviously you were you're never trying to say that there's no place for dungeons and dragons or anything no no like no that. i'm just of saying course. that their places can be described by the properties of their mechanics right that dungeons and dragons is a game in which the way in which you cast a fireball where it gets cast at mm-hmm. how far that fireball goes what enemies are the closest to it and how many dice you roll affects the way that the outcome of the game plays out Yes. And whereas uh, Fireball and Fate is pretty much um, who'd you target? Okay, I guess they're kind of near each other. Oh, Roll yeah. and see how it goes. And, uh, I, and they're, they're similar really like things, that. but they one are. one gets a bit crunchier, but yes. you're doing the same thing for the same outcome. 
The difference is with uh, with D and D. If you say, "Well, I actually want my fireball to go in a straight line because I happen to be like a, a firebender in the game we're playing," you have to build those mechanics out to support that. But if you do, that can be really rewarding because you now feel like you've really made your own thing. Whereas with and fate, you can just roll that in and say, "Okay, well then you can do that. Let's try that out." One of the things I've been trying to get used to as I realized who I am as a gamer and discovering how little I like crunch and much I like narrative Mm -hmm. is that I have to appreciate that some players like crunch and there are games that provide that and it can be difficult to try and mix a game where someone really doesn't like crunch and someone does in the same way. That's hard to play a game where someone really likes heroic fiction and Mm -hmm. others want a uh, power fantasy in which morality does not need to be considered. Right. Um, Much like playing uh, GTA. And yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, And that's GTA Waterdeep. Yes, Um, exactly. Essentially, who are these uh, people I've wandered on the road? How much XP are they worth and what's in their pockets? Right. I think that, though, um, that does speak to the idea of chemistry at a table and the importance Mm -hmm. of getting a group of people that at least have, if not a singular vision, because that can get boring as well, um, at least a general agreed upon sort of social contract of what sort of game it is that you're playing yes and the social contract i think is essential and though it is talked about vaguely i think it is too often ignored yeah Um, there's too many times that i think we say i have a bunch of friends that like gaming and they're all friends if i put them together i'm going to be able to make a a good team out of this that is not so especially because Mm -hmm. gaming is not just you know working together on something but is art and is communal art and if I, someone who has worked in theater as well as you knows that not everyone works art well with everyone else. Right. Oh, yeah. Some art is best left singular. Um, with that said, though, too, I think that's where the importance of having that that uh, initial table chatter comes in. And I will say that in our D&D campaign, the one that Chris from uh, RPOK runs we never really sat down and said, this is what we want out of a campaign. Now on the same side, we were using a prepackaged campaign. We're playing through the, the initial, um, the first like levels one to five campaign that came mm-hmm. out at the same time that fifth edition did. Um, we mm-hmm. went into it knowing it was a D and D game. And to be honest with D and D, there's some variation, of course, depending on who's your game master, but you kind of know right. the basics of what you're getting into there was yeah. at least a pretty solid communal understanding of what we were doing, but we didn't necessarily sit down and say, we want to play this kind of game because, well, it's a, a D&D game set in the Forgotten Realms. Mm-hmm. There's a limited number of ways that they tend to go unless, you get, unless you're getting really creative. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm throwing in all these disclaimers because I don't want to act like you can't have a horror game set in the Forgotten Realms or that like you can't no, you uh, have can. a detective game set in the Forgotten Realms. You absolutely can, but it's informed by its system and its setting. I agree. Exactly, mm-hmm. and that is my point, that... Um, different systems help you tell different sort of stories they, and have different sort of gameplay experience they encourage particular exactly. traits within a game um, campaign i think and i one of the things i really like about uh many indie press games is the way that they look at uh human interaction in a universal way which allows for uh games like um burning wheel and then fate to have created <laughs> A conflict system that works equally well for combat and conversation. Right. And once I found that, I realized that there is something I've always wanted in games. To have a character that could be badass and could have conflict, but for that conflict not to be about physically fighting. Mm-hmm. And Fate, I found, is very good for that, even so far as making those characters awesome 
in combat because there is no difference right between um, it's just how well how good you can tell that character's story exactly that's exactly and i think that is how how good can you tell it but well no it's the quality (laughs) at which the detail and enthusiasm a lot of things go into it um and that's something i like because storytelling is a huge part of what i like about role-playing games some people they're not there to tell stories they want to play in a world they want to interact with um a system not a system with a story through an engine and I think of that often as, you know, I want to play a video game where with my friends right. and my computer is this friend who is being the GM right. and the game uh, data is this book. I, I want to I want to try and beat this thing, not necessarily mm-hmm. tell the and you know, it's it's not to say that that's not telling a story. Let's let's ref- no, it I'll, I'll rephrase is. that. But it's it's discovering a story in a way that isn't necessarily identical to making a story. Um, to say like and i'm i'll i'll confess to this um so you and i are playing in a campaign that's based on the mass effect series mm-hmm. anyone who's listened to my you show is GM. not yeah anyone yeah. who's listened to my show is not at all surprised that i run a campaign based on the mass effect series because yeah. we bring it up at least once a show we really See, like this Bioware, is another guys. reason why i want to be on your show yeah. i was like one of the first people in that campaign and i want to go on and talk about it online because i enjoy it's your campaign. campaign yeah, yeah. Um, it's well, like let's a let's play, but yeah, we're not going to play. But we're not playing. Here's what yeah. we played. <laughs> uh, but I think um, one of the the struggles for me, at least, in starting that up was that um, I spent some time as a writer, not a good one, um, and certainly like mostly writing like you know fan fiction and short stories and what have you back in high school to early college. And mm-hmm. uh, that still means though that in my head a lot of the times when i'm playing something out it plays out as a scene meaning that i have a start and sometimes an ending point or i have like a a landmark to Mm. hit in the middle and you know when Mm. you're running a game players aren't always going to hit that Ah, so you can't design a a linear thing you've got to be able to have a start an end maybe a middle and then like 20 different paths going from point a to point b and that's something i think where i know for me at least i i would almost feel like i was better at running that kind of game where uh, the players are just trying to fight their way from A to B. And it's very like, it's like, I almost feel like I'd be better at GMing Half-Life than I would at GMing uh, a role-playing game at times because I have these, these scenes play out in my head in oh, like, a very linear um, fashion. Uh, a, what's that called? A real-time event. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, like I would want to sit there and just describe the entire scene out to everyone, let them react <laughs> for like five minutes and say, okay, now here's 30 minutes of me talking about what happens next, but boy, it's going to be crazy. It's, it's not there, a great I think there's a word for that type of GM. Well, you, uh, you, yeah, you it's not a good one, and it probably is, you, you can't say think, it in mixed company, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, don't, um, you don't tend to do that. I think that's something you're afraid of, but and seeing you GM, I haven't seen you do that. One of the uh, things, that. though, it you saying that makes me think that playing Fiasco with you would be amazing. Oh, fi- <laughs> Fiasco really does have it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I've been meaning yeah. to do that for ages. I have the, the book. I, got... I can actually see it from where mm-hmm. I'm sitting right now, and I yeah. haven't gotten to use it yet. Well, if I could look through my uh, shelf of Star Wars EU books, I would be able to see it because it's on the other side of the shelf. You haven't my... developed uh, X-ray vision yet? No, uh, but I have developed a um, lovely library that is divided into sections because <laughs> my fiance and I love bookstores. I like setting things up like bookstores. 
<laughs> oh, it's like we're in a bookstore, except the books always stay exactly the same, but we don't have to pay and for no them. No one can take them unless <laughs> yes. we lend them to them. So um, you're a library. Yes. A very exclusive library. It It's like a reference desk, and I'm the reference. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I have to ask, because I have played with someone who tells me up and down that... Um, Fiasco is not a role-playing game because it does not it does not share enough semblance with D and D like games. And so I want to ask your opinion: Ooh. Is Ooh. in your opinion, is Fiasco a role-playing game? So I'm going to preface this answer by saying that to me, because and obviously you know doing a podcast about this one doesn't make me an expert by any means, but to me the goal of a role-playing game is to provide a structure and sometimes a setting to have characters of some sort take a journey that takes them from point a to point b and point b could be a place point b could be a goal point b could be a state of being or a mind but Mm -hmm. a role-playing game at its core is about saying i'm not me right now i am this other anywhere from me in a slightly different parallel dimension to someone that is not like me at all to some kind of being that isn't even remotely uh, recognizable as human and for a little while i'm going to take this character on a journey from here to here and that's why we refer to role-playing games also when we're talking about video games is you're in a video game you get much a much stricter uh lock over what it is that you're trying to do because you can only do whatever the game designer builds art assets for and builds mechanics for and thinks to code ahead and however Mm -hmm. i would say that players or at least a large contingency of players want more which is why uh, emergent behavior and videos of emergent behavior are so popular online in video games right but i'm sorry you were saying no i agree and like the video of being able to complete fallout 4 without a single kill on your record exactly yeah is is an example of taking a game and trying to make it play the way you want but Mm -hmm. what you're doing i think deus ex was the first uh non-kill game that i had heard of where some went through the whole thing Mm -hmm. without having to kill anyone and became such a thing they made it so you could do that in the uh sequel Hmm. i'm sorry you were saying oh no that's fine um i think that if you look at a role-playing game really though as uh, and this is a very loose definition for me at this point because we'll talk about stuff that isn't a traditional role-playing game but has a narrative on our show so we'll talk about things like tomb raider uh, mm-hmm. which to me i mean you know lara has minor advancements in skills especially in the newer versions of the yeah. games uh, but really what's happening is lara is going from point a to point b to tell a story and you're watching yes. a story unfold through your actions more so in the newer games than the older ones but to me by mm-hmm. that standard mm-hmm. fiasco and games like fiasco like the quiet year sort of uh or you're not so many characters in yeah that, one. that one's it is it is telling a story but you're right i that that is kind of one where i, I draw a line a little bit and say it is a yeah. narrative game but is it a role-playing game but with fiasco yeah. at least i think um even though you're playing multiple roles you're really telling the story of a few characters of whom you gain ownership um, you're not yes. so if if i'm you know playing uh i don't know uh Bratman, the whiny defender of crusader city and you're playing someone else who is say a, a villain that opposes Bratman, um slater vin sl- the slaterous of the vins indeed um if you're playing through a game of fiasco, 
I might end up playing Slater Vin's mom. I might end up playing Slater oh, Vin's yeah. best friend, but I'm never going to play Slater Vin. Slater Vin is a character that you get control of and that right. whose journey you aren't solely directing, but you are primarily That's steering. True. And whose origin and identity are shaped by random draws from the settings right. uh, module. But whose uh, ultimately whose decisions uh, and interpretations of that lie solely mm-hmm. with you as a primary responsibility. Now, if I play Slater That's Vin's true. mom, or if you play Bratman's sidekick, Whiny Bob, then you're going to go through and you're mm-hmm. going to be able to help inform my decisions of who Bratman is or your decisions of who Slater Vin is. But I never get to play Slater Vin. Um, and that's, I think, where I draw the line mm-hmm. with The Quiet Year is uh, with mm-hmm. The Quiet Year, when we were playing and we had an elder that we stuck out on the, the river and accidentally forgot there for three weeks, any of us oh, could have brought yeah. that elder in. That's um, right. And then someone's like, well, you know, this person's been in prison here right. for a long time. He died. And then we pulled out a card that said someone in the community <laughs> dies. And Zach goes, yes. well, I know who died. We left him outside on the river for three weeks. He's dead. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Oh, God, great. that was so awful. It was. Oh, yeah. We were like, oops, yeah. uh, nobody decided to use so, an action. Yes, clue. I, I would agree. That is much more of a storytelling game because you access the uh, the narrative not through character action mm-hmm. specifically, but through the fate and function of the turn of the story as the cards and the speaking rules allow. Mm-hmm. And I would also say that because you have access to all assets of the world at any given time, except for your co-players brains, you have combined narrative control over everyone with a role-playing game. Part of the interest and investment in a role-playing game is that you care about the character that represents you. Um, not necessarily more or less than any other character, but usually more, uh, I'm way more invested in my elven sorceress than I am mm-hmm. in my friend's tiefling uh, ranger. Not necessarily yeah. because I think my character is better by any means. I actually think that he's got a great character. He is a, a kind of a death wish and he hates goblins. Mm-hmm. And he's done a couple of things that I wish I could find ways to play into. But I care more about my character because I'm that character. That character is me. Right. I mean, I'm not a female the, elven sorceress. This character but is I in many care ways. About Sorry, I interrupted No, that's you. fine. Um, I kept going. I, I'm getting bad at that. Um your character is many ways your stamp of interest on the world and your means of connecting to the world, both through action and also in caring about things you will Mm -hmm. perceive and be tied to what your character perceives. They're your avatar in this world that you're inhabiting. Yes, exactly. Um, I find that, um, the, there are many different ways that a game system could create that a character connecting to a world Mm -hmm. not the ownership but Mm -hmm. that how that character fits into the setting Mm -hmm. in a story and system way but i think if the rules are based more on how that character moves through space and affects physical things with their physical abilities for instance any game where the majority amount of stats uh, deal with one's physical abilities right um i and uh, this is something that bothered me for a while i'm playing some games like D D. is that uh some things like your ability to be strong and your ability to be nimble are very specifically defined in your ability to take damage mm-hmm. but your your um mental and emotional abilities are defined to just your your charisma your intelligence and your wisdom, which are not, I'd say, a bad system. One of the things I like about D&D is that is 
overall a pretty solid system. But sure. some I mean, systems it's, it's don't do that as well. But yeah, yeah, yeah. There are and systems that definitely just kind of really... say we're all about punching each other, and right, we aren't exactly. really like even when we're we're mentally fighting, we're still just fighting per se. There's yes. not a, it's not about manipulation or there's like there's one role. Great, you made your role. Tell me how you manipulate manipulate them. And um, I think my only complaint in the way that uh, uh, D&D does it is that D&D's naming conventions, while not bad naming conventions, uh, create two specific scopes for what these um, ephemeral parts of your character could do. So your character's really now broken down to how wise they are, how smart they are, and how much people like them, which I've always found to be a little too limiting. Right. Um, I think that fifth edition. And there edition, are a number of ways to do that. Yeah, I think fifth edition it doesn't necessarily fix that because those ability scores are so ingrained at this Iconic. point. Iconic, oh, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, the other games like Knights of the Old Republic, D and D in Star Wars setting. It's a D twenty game in space. Well, yes, but, they were inspired, I think, by the Star Wars D twenty system mm-hmm. that had come out a few years. Very heavily, that. I think. But yeah, I think uh, one of the things that fifth edition likes to point out is things like uh, as a sorcerer, my character uses charisma as their primary stat because it's about how well you impose your will upon the world. And that, for me, actually completely mm. changed the way that I look at the charisma stat. It's not necessarily really? just about... It's often your will? Charisma becomes a, a an aspect of a force of willpower. And um, one of the things that I've realized with the way that I now approach D&D, mm. kind of just because of that little revelation from reading the books, is that yeah. each of your stats has one or two areas in which it bleeds into another stat. Not by a lot. Strength and dexterity don't necessarily come into a lot of uh, combination, but there well, are moments. I could see how they would. Right, because they're both yeah. about physical ability. Yeah. Or strength and constitution. Like, if you get hit by something, mm-hmm. is your muscle mass where some of that comes from? Are you fighting back against the it, attack? Are you just trying to absorb dense it? Don't. Bones. right is yeah. it that you're built solidly but not very mm-hmm. strong you know and there and that's mm-hmm. which is certainly something you see but um in a similar way charisma and intellect or charisma and wisdom overlap a bit because uh, charisma gets this willpower aspect to it it's not just do you like me how about if i turn on the charm a little bit now do you like me but it's also something like what's your force of personality because of this i have always appreciated um Things that use the same system. I feel like a real breakthrough for me uh, when going through systems was uh, the New World of Darkness system. Because uh, as a bridge between heavily uh, mechanic-mechanic-mechanicized, heavily physics-based crunch games, and more narrative games as an important branch because it took... Um, the three things people usually use in a physical stat, your strength, your dexterity, your ability to withstand something, which I think they call stamina. Um, Mm -hmm. And they transpose that dynamic, your power, your your finesse, and your... um, I don't know your 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 tenacity your your ability to I can't remember what they called that yeah and but they applied it equally. it's that subversion in a way because well and part right. of it too is that uh, Dungeons and Dragons has been around for so long like it's an iconic game mm-hmm. absolutely but that also means that any terms from it for anybody that's had any experience with D and D become very firmly ingrained and there are so many different ways to have an experience with D and D now that those stats mm-hmm. become a very um, central part with very specific ideas attached to them. 
And I think that uh, to, to take a term that's used in mm-hmm. relation to that, and I, I would combine things like strength and, uh, well, power-ish, not necessarily, but like uh, dexterity and agility, I think, are, are similar concepts. But to say something like yeah, finesse, yeah. finesse becomes very different because it has a connotation well, that isn't restricted to physical capability necessarily. Exactly, and that's what I'm saying. They took that mm-hmm. dynamic and then they copied it on the other... Um, um, abilities the other the other basic characteristics of your character so they had a physical set with those three and then right. they had a medic a, a mental set with um i believe it was uh, uh intelligence for power right uh wit for uh finesse and i think it was like focus for your defensive it's kind of like a constitution Not, but for I don't willpower. Think it were, yeah, yeah, but it wasn't called focus. It was called... Um, uh, oh, I just I just um, think of uh, the Mass Effect game that we play. Yeah. It calls it Resolve, and I actually really enjoy that. Oh, it is Resolve. Exactly. Oh, is that's oh, exactly okay. what it is. It, okay. That's always seemed like and a very apt term to me. They do a social thing, and this I like a lot, because they break up how people relate to people emotionally into a much more basic way. Your presence, which can be negative, such as intimidating people, or mm-hmm. positive, such as charming their pants off. Right. Your manipulation, your ability to mm-hmm. uh, manipulate other people's emotions, and that is your finesse. Yeah. And then your um, composure, which is your ability to save face. Yeah. And uh, oh. they build your willpower pool out of your resolve and your composure. Oh, I like that. Which yes, it was when I saw that I was like, "Oh my god, this is perfect alchemy yeah. of an ability thing." I like this. Yeah. And then they broke up all skills into whether they're physical, social, or mental. And sometimes those skills work, sometimes they don't. I think the skill yeah. system is always one of the trickiest parts of balancing out a game, and it's why I like that Fate immediately says, "Here's how you modify the skill system instantly." Uh they're very good at that. But um I thought what hit me is that I liked the philosophy that a character could always be divided into three basic things. Their mm-hmm. physical abilities, their mental abilities, and their social, emotional, or spiritual abilities, however you want to call that. I think that hearing that system, what I actually appreciate about it is less the ability to separate out those three things as it is to take the same three aspects of each, to be able to say your ability to exert it upon the world with brute, ah, yes. the, the ability to mm-hmm. brutish, brutishly exerted upon Mm -hmm. the world the ability to cleverly exert it upon Mm -hmm. the world and the ability to withstand what the world wants to exert upon you and the fact that you've got that triangle set up for each of the three Mm -hmm. uh, traits just allows you to have characters that are built around one trait or another or to be more deficient in one than another like somebody who's very strong and very intimidating might not be very smart and maybe very insecure about that to be able to kind of have that interplay is really neat Mm mm-hmm it made understanding characters so much easier mm-hmm. because you can just turn up the dials to kind of get a feel for what your character is. Mm-hmm. This is good for role-playing. Unfortunately, it doesn't min-max you right? Um, as some players in New World of Darkness will do, try and create a build that works best for what they want their eventual supernatural powers to do. Right. Well, um, that's going to be true with any game that has that ability. You're not necessarily going mm-hmm. to try and like min-max a game of fate, but you can do things like worry about the skills that are going to directly give you extra stress boxes. I would there argue are ways min-maxing to do fate has everything to do with being a shitty player. You can true. easily min-max fate by bullying everyone else at the table into uh, accepting your ideas. True. And I think that's why it's very important that fate says right off, 
um, or doesn't even say it just assumes you are playing with people. No, actually, I think it says something about that. It might. You are playing but... with people who mm-hmm. care about everyone else's fun. Yeah. And that's and that's, that's really one of the core ideas. And that should be the core idea of any game. Yes. But I, I agree that because a, a narrative light game like that means mm-hmm. that you can't fudge a dice roll and you can't uh, throw in a mechanic, like suddenly give someone disadvantage the same way to act as sort of a, a slap on the hand. You can't say, well, because you did this, uh, the GM is giving you disadvantage on your next roll the same way. You can, yeah. but it, it gets a little bit more kludgy. It's designed to be a looser system with less uh, yes. mechanics in place. But the flip side is somebody who's not a good member of the group can abuse that. Absolutely. And the thing is, is that um, I think we can compare these things such as the D&D ability model versus the New World of Darkness ability model. And there, I in showing them to you, I would posit these are not the same, and they create a different playing experience, and in that way, crunch can create through facilitation or through uh, deterioration, deterring Mm -hmm. narrative by making certain things more likely and easier to do or less likely or harder to do. Yeah, I think one of the upsides for me is that uh, I I have a couple of people who are fairly new to role-playing games, playing in our D&D campaign. Um, Mm -hmm. Zach has had fairly limited experience, although that's really expanded a lot. He's really thrown himself into a couple of things since kind of discovering that, which is great. Uh, And our other friend, Mike, also um, really hadn't played D&D at all. So we spent, it was very interesting. You had some very experienced D&D players like Chris and uh, one of our other friends, Reggie. You had a couple of people who had played some like me, and you had a couple people who had played very little like Zach or none like Mike. So you really had a full range at the table, which meant there was a very collaborative process and a lot of um, interconnection in teaching. I mean, we all work together too, um, or did, mm-hmm. but uh, we still mostly do. So we had that familiarity. We already knew each other's learning styles and working styles and how to communicate with each other. And that made things a lot smoother. But one of the upsides, I think, with D&D over fate, and that's something I, this is something I'm discovering as a GM more than I discovered mm-hmm. it as a player. Um, it's something that I've also noticed in my regular life. If you say, I'd like you to write a story, I'm going to just, uh, I, well, I could write a story. But if you say, I want you to write a story about a park, a couple, a fight, and an ice rink. Take these four things and turn them into a story. You're giving me a certain set of conditions and you're giving me a certain set of tools, Mm -hmm. but you're limiting the number of tools that I have. And with that, I can pick from these and Mm -hmm. I can drop them in wherever I want. But because I have a limited set of tools, I'm not looking at a, like a five-story workshop uh-huh. and going where the hell do I start? And so I think are that you D&D saying has a similar... you, you find it provides structure for you that helps you? I think that especially for people that are less experienced with uh, GMing or less experienced with role-playing, I think that when you have to look down at your character sheet and say, I have not a limited number necessarily, but I have a particular set of skills that I'm better at, or I have a particular set of things that will be more useful or have more utility in this situation. Now, question one is always going to be, is this the appropriate thing to do? And that's one of the tough things for me, I think lately with my character is that my character doesn't necessarily do the things that I had envisioned the character doing before. But I think that looking down at my character sheet when we're in a fight and saying instead of just like uh i throw fire at them again well i mean i do that a lot with the character because the character is a a fire-centric sorcerer 
but I have specific things I can do. I can throw a fire bolt, I can throw a, a scorching ray, and each has a different tactical advantage or disadvantage. Mm -hmm. The flip side is, is that what the character would do? And that can be the harder part to navigate with that. Yes, but I it, agree, because it mm -hmm. does not so much support the concept as much as it supports the artillery. Following the rule set. Yeah. Right. But at the same time, what it does for somebody like my friend Mike, who isn't necessarily as experienced with the game, um, he, he doesn't necessarily have the ability to do just whatever he wants. He has a limited number of things to select from for now. And that expands and scales as you gain more experience, both in the game from an experience points mechanic standpoint, but also as you continue playing, you become a better role player and learn more mm, about... I see. Like, you suddenly have two Swiss Army Knives instead of one. You now have, like, third-level spells, or you can take the form of a bear, or you can uh, spontaneously regenerate hit points once per day, and you're deciding where to use these things, when is it appropriate, how does it fit? But it also gives you the tools to say, I don't have to sit here and go, I have the ability to do anything right now, and I have to decide what of the any things is most appropriate. Uh, this is something I used that to run into in, in collaborative writing games. It's to step into a situation and say, right now, I could come up with a lot of different things, but the primary actions I'm going to take here are sword, dagger, uh, use a skill like intimidation or deception or persuasion, fireball, and like shield or magic missile. And to, to look at that laid out set of tools and to say, mm -hmm. look, in this situation... You're telling me that I'm not going to need a wrench, so you're not giving me a wrench, but you are saying, here's a hammer, here's a screwdriver, here's some nails, figure out what you want to do, but I'm not giving you a wrench. And you go, okay, well, then I have to rule out anything that doesn't include a wrench. Actually, I can choose from these things, and it's easier for me like, mm -hmm. to, to not get locked up with indecision as badly if I look down at my set of things and I go, okay, I can pick that, that, or that, or that. And uh, one of the things that I'm running into as a game master is that you really do have the ability to do almost anything. And obviously the system places different amount of stricture on you, and we're playing a game that's based on fate, even though there's some crunch to it. But to have the ability to do anything in a given situation, mm -hmm. sometimes you can't decide on what the thing that you're going to do is unless you've had more experience with those decisions and more of a, a sense of, I've been in this situation before and I know what I want to do. Uh, that is very helpful, and I think it's one of the reasons why... Um... Uh, sorry, I totally uh, ran down your energy there. No, uh, I think it's important why improv games often are so beloved by gamers. And mm -hmm. I, I've been to small fate conventions, like very small, one game store, end game, mm -hmm. where in, oh no, actually it was a fate, I think it might have been a fiasco convention, um, where they did, yeah, it was fiasco. Mm -hmm. uh, in the morning improv classes and then in the afternoon it was a small uh fiasco uh, uh convention with a few different tables yeah. and i that think makes that makes a lot of sense Just warm everybody what you're up talking for that about idea. the exactly those skills don't come naturally to everyone and not everyone's into them mm -hmm. and D D and games like that with heavy um physical structure structure on and that limits and talks about what you can physically do um, measuring your strength by pounds, measuring your movement by feet, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, those games are very good at providing a scaffolding to get you out to the deeper parts of the pool that you might want to explore. Yeah. Um, and letting you know how you're going to get there and what it's going to be like. I think maybe I have swum out to a point where now, uh, to a certain amount of structure 
makes me feel like I can't move. And I think I that tapped into something. It's not like I got bit by a uh, hippie games bug, and now I only want to play hippie you, games. You got bit by a radioactive uh, evil hat designer? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I think it's more that I, I have always found myself kind of um, um, not quite happy with most of the uh classes i have ever played in fact i found that um any game that forced me to make a class or in which i was heavily encouraged to make a class i tended to have a really hard time getting the game to understand my concept Mm -hmm. because i had a hard time you wanted to range a little more afield yeah exactly and um, I remember enjoying the mutants and masterminds idea that you don't need a class. You can build anything. Mm-hmm. But then after a while, I found that mutants and masterminds in their system was just... Um, it was a little bit... Not more of the crunchy. same, but... Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. I, it, crunchy in like a... Um, in a way that limited my ability to, to move about mm-hmm. as a GM and as a player. It... I had to simplify that system a lot. Mm-hmm. I, think I think it's interesting because there are there are signs that you can find in people who play more video games than than tabletop games where you can start recognizing mm-hmm. that kind of thing. People that really like to test out custom builds and some people do custom builds mm-hmm. to min max, but mm-hmm. my like my little brother and Zach both are the type to go into Skyrim, fire oh. up a Skyrim character and say what can I do with this? I am so glad you brought that up. I was mm-hmm. just thinking one of the video games that blew my mind the most with this exact thing about classes is that, um, and I think it was Morrowind, um, but it might I think have you been used Oblivion. To, you used to talk about, I mean, you would always talk about Oblivion yeah. when, when we were in college, but uh, that was, was usually in the, the context time. of having played Morrowind first. Yeah. Oh, I but that Morrowind. that Elder Scrolls idea but, that like after after Arena where you mm-hmm. you did start as a thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, they started letting you. They gave you all these class ideas and even gave bonuses if you to your XP. Sure. If you played those classes, but then they gave you an option to no class, build you whatever wanna, you want. Right here, you can be a spell sword, and we'll kind of kit some things out for you in advance. And then if you just kind of want to go sword heavy and have mm-hmm. one fire spell cool whatever just put all your points into that i really love the moment in skyrim where i'm going through that cave and i it hits me oh my god these are my skills this is my i am through my actions determining my character there is no class here i don't even get right oh that's amazing yeah i can't even bring it up and it doesn't say like level five you know barbarian it just says here's your skills here's what you can do Mm -hmm. and this is just based on what you do is how you get better at what you do and I really like that. I really um, like your ability to work undefined by class. Mm-hmm. Um, and me, that's just the socialist in me. But um, I think <laughs> I don't it... like class warfare. I don't but, want these classes fighting with each other in my head. Yeah, exactly. But even then, in a way, it kind of is because the idea of class. I have to say, as a student of social science, the idea of playing in a game that says you are either a fighter or a ranger, or you could multi-class is just a a ridiculous way of looking at the world. That is not how social Mm -hmm. structures work. And the class system really refers to a type of unit that was used to use in war games, which kind of shows you where D&D came out of. Sure. Um, But it's not what I'm looking for. I want to tell stories where that aren't so much about moving pieces around a board, mm-hmm. even though that can be fun. And I enjoyed it quite a lot in uh, 
for Fed, less so in previous eds, though I, I right. do like Fifth. Um, Fifth does. I mean, it pulls. I think it pulls some of the the current uh, general meta ideas, and a lot of the general mm-hmm. meta ideas right now are informed by the original Fudge system and the idea of like, yeah, tell you what, tell a story, make it lighter, figure it out. But D and D has never lost that crunch because it's also a very core part of what it is. It's just modified yes. how much and where it's applied. That's true, and many people treat D and D as a uh, flagship game, and that. The state of role playing is often thought to be representing the state of D and D. It's um, one of the biggest, and I think by definition, yeah. whatever is the biggest on the market changes to reflect whatever has gained traction mm-hmm. in the smallest on the market, much in the way that in, video games do. I think. In that way, even though I know that they did not make, they got a lot of new gamers um, with Forfed, but they didn't make as much money on physical books because what they made was so accessible you really needed a lot less books and the electronic resources were amazing so they started just selling subscriptions which were super easy to pirate not that i ever did that with three different people absolutely but um (laughs) but uh the mass amount of people leaving D and D for things like Pathfinder created a lot of movement in games, and I found mm. a lot of people trying out games they had never tried before. So even though I recognize that I think Fourth is one of the best, if not the best D and D, and people badmouth and say it's a time where people moved on, I'm very thankful that happened because that is when the indie press revolution really took off, and a small part mm-hmm. of that might be there was a lot more player movement between different types of games and people trying things out. Yeah, and I think to that as far that, as discussing what D sort of has has become and what it does i think you have to give a nod to if you're going to talk about narrative within games to the people that take D and sort of have found ways to make other things work with it i'm not talking about like d20 modern or about like gamma world mm-hmm. necessarily but to be able to say um you know there there are differences in the style of game that you run between Ravenloft and Eberron mm-hmm. and Forgotten Realms and uh, Oriental Adventures, which for some reason always sticks in my head, even though that's not a thing anymore. Uh, I'm, for the name, I'm glad it's not. Oh, yeah, I'm no, I'm fine I'm really with it. glad it's... it's not with the, the freaking how it was pretty much just mostly, here's how you play Rokugan in D&D. Yeah, it's true. Uh, there's a there's a, what looks like a fantastic art of rokugan or like atlas of rokugan book coming out this year oh really which is rokugan it's like the, the first and or refurbishment people are getting way more into it again yeah um but with that said uh i think that with D uh one of the things that it's fair to say that when we're looking at this discussion is we're talking about the system itself but if you're in a relatively experienced or you have a relatively experienced GM playing D&D and there's a story that they want to tell and they have a way to kitbash the system or to encourage the players to Mm -hmm. go along a certain way or you have a couple of players who are very good at playing characters and not just running down lists of rules um, that's not to say you can't have these experiences in Mm D&D and I think it's it's important to recognize that there are people that it's just like with doing a pacifist run of Fallout 4 even if the system doesn't necessarily encourage it, there's a way to make it happen that's still going to give you some fun in the game, even if it's not intended to work that way. Um, hopefully not as frustrating as needing to reload from your save file like 85 times trying to do a pacifist run of Fallout 4, which doesn't quite support it the same way. But to be able to say, I can have this kind of game, I can play a bunch of nobles 
in manipulative social combat with a ton of hirelings in a Dungeons and Dragons game, and I can find a way to make it fun with certain only certain amounts of physical combat. It's not easy, and it takes a very specific kind of uh, team and group and central idea to make it work, so it becomes more difficult. But it's not to say it's impossible. But I would agree that you know it's informed by the the fact that D and D doesn't naturally lend itself to that. Just the same way that I think what we're finding yes. playing our Mass Effect game is that it's somebody taking Fate, or more specifically taking Bulldogs, which is a little bit more of a, a slightly crunchier version yeah. of Fate, meant to be in a sci-fi setting, and yeah. applying it to a game that is based on an underlying role-playing engine in Mass Effect that has mechanics and has bits and pieces that move and trying to make it feel like in many ways highly uh the first game was highly influenced by Dungeons and Dragons in that it was highly influenced by Knights of the Old Republic yeah absolutely but I think that it's uh you you take these games and you you make them do what you want to do but it's not always as natural as the thing that you can do and I think though that that's true to sorry to to further that that part of the conversation it's it's always Mm -hmm. fair to point out that we're talking about the majority of people that play the game or people coming to the game, not necessarily for the first time, but for like the third or fourth time who are going to kind of want to work within the strictures that the game provides. But there are always going to be those people who can make something out of something else to take fate and make a crunchy system out of it. If that's what the players mm-hmm. want or to take D and D and make a really loose free flowing system, which is partly what critical role has done to some extent they still play with spells but there are certain Mm -hmm. rules that matt will take and just "Eh, i don't want to deal with this i'm just going to tell you it works and give you advantage it's fine and the advantage disadvantage system is one i think great example of being able to say yes i don't want to figure out this rule you can have an extra die and pick the higher one or you can have an extra die or pick the lower one. i think that was a incredible thing that they did i very much appreciate it and in many ways it if they had done a similar thing in Forfed, Forfed would have been an even more amazing uh, mm-hmm. combat system. Yeah, um, I and mean, I really I have think moments... it was something that Fifed did better than Forfed by a mm-hmm. long shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things that um, last time we played Mass Effect, one of the things that I finally caught myself starting to do mm-hmm. is to say, well, based on this situation, I'm just going to give you a plus one. Or based on this situation, I'm yeah, just going to give you a minus that one. That makes sense. And it's figuring out when you can start having that GM fiat mm-hmm. is uh, easier in some games than others. And I think that in D&D, it can be a little harder to do. But when you figure it out, there are so many rules that you can manipulate that to a certain extent, you get a lot of very interesting and weird combinations. Um, and that can be very interesting. Whereas with and Fate, you've got a limited dangerous. number of directions that can go. Oh, yes, because the rules are not in themselves incredibly uh, interesting. There are very few, like, well pools to get stuck in and see, oh, here's a loophole. That is actually something I really like about Fate, because one experience has really soured me from Crunch. It Mm. is um, people taking advantage of certain systems, no matter how obscure, to create a... um, to create something that other people at the table uh, are not comfortable with, mm-hmm. but or in some way throws off the chemistry of the table. The but idea of because, the min maxer or the, the loophole sort of, finder, the rules lawyer. Yeah, it doesn't have to be combat-based, so in right. that way not necessary, but very rules-based. I'm not exactly sure what this is called, um, though I think I heard a term for it. Like a munchkin? When you, yes, that's what I'm thinking of. Thank you. We're Thank so used you. to it being a card game that we forget yes. that it cam- comes from an actual that term. That is what that word is. A colloquialism a about players it that just kind almost... of suck the fun out for everybody else. Yeah. 
it is almost impossible to munchkin in fate because fate requires mm -hmm. a heavy social contract it has very little uh very simple rules that apply a lot of generalization to uh, many situations mm -hmm. so that you're not going to get a well you know in this book they say in this situation i can do this the basic idea of fate is you make your character um you do um you know the first two things and then when you get to the stunts you can talk about the cool things your character does yeah and everyone in the table gets a kind of feel for whether or not that's going to fit mm -hmm. and then you're cool right that sort of thinking would not pass that test yeah, like well, that is not going to happen, and that's part of the social contract: getting people to talk about what they want their character to do and be like, instead of picking from a menu and saying, "I'll have this." Yeah, I think one thing though that I've noticed about how I've seen a lot of fate games play out is um, there are moments where you think that your character may fail, but ultimately, in a lot of cases, unless your GM is being particularly mean spirited. Um, you don't run into the same sense of uncertainty that you run into a, in a game where heavier mechanics are going to dictate the outcome. Yes. And I don't yeah. necessarily see either of those as being a bad thing. Fate is a great no, way to be able to a tell flavor. a story. And D&D mm -hmm. uh, &D can have a story change drastically based on the roll of a die. Not that fate can't necessarily, but you fudge things along. It Ha, fudge. Yeah. Didn't mean to do that, but it, see what I did No, there? I think that's something they may have done on purpose. Sure. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I've, running in a story where uh, failing a roll drastically on my part suddenly meant that I got thrown into a, a post-apocalyptic California in a Mecha versus Kaiju fate game. Um, it was super interesting and it was weird and it was fun. But in D&D, having a moment where I look and I say, I am legitimately in danger of having my character knocked out right now if I don't mm -hmm. figure out what either tactically or alternately, what would my character do here? Do I turn? Is this the point where my character says I'm going to turn and run, uh, which mm -hmm. isn't something I evaluate often enough, but it is a, it's a decision that should be there. But that uncertainty, it, it does lend itself to a mechanic based approach. I would but I would say a tactical-based approach. Mm -hmm. That's because fair. tactics as a gameplay requires risk. It mm -hmm. is not tactics without risk. Otherwise, uh, and the quintessential tactical game, chess, is something of very high risk that can be highly calculated. And the thing that risk is not something that fate deals in. Fate wants to deal with a game in which people are having the experience they want to have. It is possible to lose D&D. &D. Right. It is possible to lose your character, lose your character stuff, uh, not be welcome at the table anymore, or not have anything else to do at the table because that was your real idea that you wanted to do. Right. It is not possible to lose fate. And that is a huge boon to me because the fate does not measure success and failure in exactly the same philosophy mm -hmm. that... Um, D&D was built on, and I think that's because Fate has come from a generation of people playing games who are aware of playing games and know that one of the things about playing games is may, you might want to introduce more choice into how your character story runs mm -hmm. and what your gameplay is like. And sometimes uh, the roll of a die can completely ruin your gameplay. Um, and something that I think... Uh, paranoia really made fun of by creating obtuse amounts of tables to generate your character from. like 27 no-win situations in which you are placed at least exactly. once per minute exactly right exactly 
Um, and it made fun of that thing very well. Fate doesn't deal with that at all. It says you can have this as you if you want as an aesthetic, but you as a player are never going to have to walk away from this idea because this die roll said no. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that this discussion has really illuminated well in a way that I think we uh, it was probably hard for you to cover in a short article kind of the differences in how you approach the two games that nothing is impossible yeah. in either but each one encourages something different yeah exactly i've been and that's why i was talking about a spectrum in which things can move around or continuum rather yeah um i feel like i was approached by some people very much as if i am tearing down uh D D. well and i think that you're i felt sorry. i was trying to no it's fine i'm sorry uh I was really trying to point out that now that we have played all these games and have created new games, we can see a comparison by which we can compare the narrative capabilities of games next to one another. Mm -hmm. um, and in that, I found that as a narrative game, D&D &D is far too structured and not free and not narratively compelling enough for me in that it does not help me compel narrative, not that its mm -hmm. narrative isn't compelling. Though I right. don't find the prime narrative of D and D very compelling, right? I and I think that's up. yeah. And I think that's one of the cases where I think a lot of people reading the article read it as your taste is wrong. Where really what you're saying is my taste leans this way, and I'm not the only one. And uh, seriously, fate Mike be a, had yeah. me take away a disclaimer I had placed of the two, three dis, two disclaimers I had. I had a third saying this is just my opinion. I'm not trying to shit over the way people play. And Mike had me take it out because he's like, you've already done this twice. You don't need to do this three times. It's, it's all about how you write the disclaimer into it. you got to weave it into what you're saying because that's what people are reading. But, yeah, uh, that's true. I, I, I do agree, though, that because um, for me personally, you know, I've, I've always had a big taste for science fiction and fantasy sweeping epic stories and heroes journeys. And um, that's not to say that I don't appreciate some level of like, here's a pragmatic anti-hero or here are a couple of characters that are just trying to grow as people like slice of life bits. But for me, there is something that's very engaging about there is a massive evil. You are trying to destroy it mm. by working your way through this dungeon to the castle and then up through the mm. castle to the, and so on and so on, because there's a sense of accomplishment at the end. And that's probably why I also appreciate a lot of those games that even though they feel somewhat linear, like the final fantasy series, mm -hmm. um, work on that sort of that grand rapidly expanding scale and that very soaring me? dynamic. Can you help me with this? Because you're touching on something that a player I talk to, but I have a hard time finding some common ground who is very much against fate. Uh, because they say playing it doesn't feel enough like an accomplishment. When they mm -hmm. build their character and when their character does things, they say they don't feel like they've really earned things. And I'm wondering, since you just said that, if you mm -hmm. might... Not that you know this person, but talking about your own feeling, where does that come from and how does fate not provide that? What am I not seeing? Well, considering that, I think this that thought is maybe one of the best cases for your piece that I can come up with in that I enjoy both games. Uh, I don't know about equally because I've had limited experiences with both. Um, the only instances in which I've played fate have really been uh, a couple of scattered mecha versus kaiju games at Dundrakhan 
um, the the mini one that you and I and Chris ran for oh for fun. that was great it was a lot of fun it was a great primer for both of us to fate because you got a lot more experience with it and the the Mass Effect game that I'm running which is does feel a little early to me to throw myself into running a game and it is a bit crunchier never than too fate. early but thank you appreciate that with that said um, there are different kinds of games that can encourage different kinds of stories. I, I definitely uh, fell into the camp of um, your article doesn't make me like D&D any less, but it does make me sort of see a perspective of the stories that it encourages just from my own experiences that I'm currently the only two games I'm playing are D&D and Fate. And you definitely see that change that Fate says we're telling a story together and there are obstacles you'll have to overcome, but really what you're doing is you're telling a story together. And D&D says, there are obstacles you have to overcome, and in doing so, you'll tell a story. Um, yes, yes, that's very true. And, and a very nice way of you, uh, very complimentary, thank you, uh, to talk about my piece. I appreciate your goodwill. Um, and you're right. It is obstacle over story, hmm? and story over obstacle. I'm not sure if it exactly, like, purely boils down to it that way, but it's a very good way of putting it. Um, it's almost as if the adversity and measuring the adversity and having so many different ways to measure the adversity and then interact with those measurements with your measurements. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that versus the story and working with the story. Yeah, I think that the, the person that you spoke to has a point um, in in my mm -hmm. view. And this is coming from someone who does play through video games with the idea that there is a goal at the end, whether it's to see more of the plot and to unlock that, mm -hmm. or whether it's to gain more capability so that you can be more adept at completing battles. And therefore, like for me, a lot of it centers around the plot. And I think that the fact that I want to play games that are mechanic heavy, like Final Fantasy or like, uh, gosh, uh, what's the other one I've been playing with? Like Dragon Age, where there are mechanics involved and there is training that you do, but it's all in the service of trying to advance a plot. Um, I think mm -hmm. that speaks volumes to why I appreciate both games. When you're playing D&D, &D, when we finally managed to get over that hump, we hadn't been grinding. Grinding is a term that I use in relation to like Final Fantasy II uh, a lot because you're doing meaningless battles over and over and over again just to try and get enough experience points to advance so you can finally go on to another thing. Um, Final Fantasy II is really bad about that, by the way. But uh, a game like D&D, &D, where our group was just moving through the storyline and completing the things that were presented in front of us by attacking them the, in the way that our group would and in the manner that we chose to approach them. But when we finally crested that hump and hit the next level and went, okay, we get more stuff. You're sitting there looking at this stuff and going, it's like saying, I worked really hard to get this payday. Now I have this money and I get to choose where to spend it. And I have these really cool, shiny things that I can spend it on. It's a different feeling from hitting a major milestone in Fate and going, awesome, I can boost my fight up one level. Um, and that's not that a bad true. thing, but it's Fate a different is very feeling. much not about um, mechanical um, advancement. Right. It's much more about they would rather. And I think this is them saying we would rather you build a new stunt yep. than you up your skills because yep. we want to see you work with your skills as a base and yep. then grow from there in a more narrative way because stunts have to have a narrative reason for working. And they're fun. Um, but and I, they are fun. Yeah. I, I totally see that, and I and I have to say that is probably a lot where I can see my own blindness, because one of the reasons why I play monks in D&D &D is I hate having to spend gold on armor 
and weapons. Mm -hmm. I hate advancing my armor and weapons. I do not find it very fun getting gold and buying things and calculating how much gold everyone has. I can do that for like a night if I want to play a highly economic game, but having like having a literal uh what do you call it like a literal to... piece by piece inventory yeah really bogs me down with the details that's not the gameplay i want to get into right i would rather deal it's not why i have this stuff it's not what does it do for me exactly mm -hmm. and one of the things i really like about uh, fate is the way that it talks about consequences and aspects and that your bonus and i've done this in games before for uh, accomplishing this quest is I now give you a, uh, for the next quest or the next story, a four-point aspect with four free uses before you have to start paying for it. Right. What is it? What do you want it to do for your right. character? Is it this horde? Is it um, a position of honor amongst the Guild of Thieves? Mm -hmm. um, is it uh, the service of a golem? Like, is it um, a primary win in Iowa? It could be all kinds of things that advance your story. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, I find that much more crunchy games are more about the tactile, physical. Right. This is the physical thing that you got. Would you, you like to spend it? You can still this have those the... things, but they don't play out the same way because the mechanics aren't built to incorporate. <laughs> right. You are now a noble or uh, you have an audience like you. You can now have one audience with the queen at any time you like. You could use that in a certain way to support the rest of your role playing, but in a game that mm -hmm. is related to the like, I guess it relates to what you write on your sheet. And the fifth edition sheet yes. has some major areas where you write down personality traits, yeah, fates, really and things like, like that, but also a chunk of area where you write down what you have. So and I think uh, another aspect of uh, that gro character growth and the crunchy versus the narrative um, comes to character development. Most traditional D&D-like games, and D&D is very good at this, has character progression on this philosophy. I'm losing my voice for some reason. Just getting really amped up and about that, the differences between gaming systems, yeah. man. Well, you know, it's I teach all day, I talk all night. Okay, um, these games are based off of the idea that your progression as a character is calculated... In no matter how minutely or how you spend it, in how you progress as a badass and how much more of a physical badass you become. How much Your more capability you have. Exactly. Yeah. How much more agency you have. Yeah. Um, in uh, even slightly more narrative um, games with a lot of crunch like Mage, that agency can be incredibly narratively uh, bounded like Magic is in Mage. But a lot of times it's like I have, uh, I am better at my kung fu skill. I mm -hmm. am better at this. I have and improved that. the capability. Mm -hmm. Right. And one of the things I really like about fate is it advances the idea that it's not about challenges, as you said earlier. It's not about challenges, getting over those challenges, and then suddenly being better than those challenges, and your stats are higher, and you are more capable. It's about progressing your story. Mm -hmm. And I find that much more interesting, especially because I'm not really looking um, the the God power fantasy, the idea of um, 
very much what Mage is all about, getting more and more power, right? Uh, isn't really what I'm interested in. Yeah, you're, you're not in a... it for the, like, here I am striking down everyone that opposes me because I can't necessarily do that in real life. You're in it for the, it, what is the experience yeah. of the character that I'm playing and how does it differ from mine? Exactly. Um, and I think I, I note this. I can often tell if there's a player like me, if they say things like, you know, when I make my character, I really like to saddle them up with some sort of interesting flaw because I like mm-hmm. to shoot my character in the foot and see how they walk off the injury or how it makes them yeah. limp. And I think, yes, that, yes, that's exactly you watch, watch what I'm Watch them go down about. a very dark path very quickly and go, ah, you wanted that. All right. This is interesting. Yeah. I would like to see that. Okay, happy character, could save the world, got to balance this out. Dying from a terminal illness. Interesting. Let's see where we go with this. What is your crucial critical flaw? And That's... the thing is, I don't even see it as a flaw. It's no. just like a hindrance. It it's holds a hook. you back. And I think that uh, D&D and games like that don't have a lot of flaws now they do now they're much more about it but sure. the uh it I mean, used to I, I grew be up more on like that... the first edition and the like yeah. the later first edition books and stuff where back then you know, illusionist yeah. was a class in those books that's that's how yeah. old they run your flaws are that you are not yet an adventure your flaw you is your lack peasant. of strength not or exactly. your, in, your inexperience not necessarily that exactly. there's something else unless you build it that way but you have to consciously make that effort it's not built in. And in some games, you have to build in build in whole new systems, just Sometimes. to uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we wrote an entire one just to deal with Zach's character, Pank, and how much he drinks. So we. Oh my so, god, that's amazing. Yeah, he's he's an alcoholic rock gnome, so it doesn't take much because he's like sixty pounds soaking wet, but it, it's there. Uh, and so we built out an entire mechanic for that, and it's been really entertaining. Uh, oh. So I just looked at the time. Yeah, so we've been going for a while. Um, I think mm-hmm. uh, if it's okay with you, I'd like to wrap this up with one thought. Yeah, yeah. And that's Please. that's this overriding idea that any of these games are going to be influenced by the system, but they're also going to be informed by their game master. And I think that with that's true. with fate, yeah, yeah, what makes it an accomplishment is not what you find yourself able to do or earning your way to what it is that you do. It's finding a sense of completion with the story that you're telling to be able to say we did that not we did that in the sense of we hit level 20 i've never done that before although any campaign that makes it that far and starts at level one good job guys that's crazy but to be able to say we defeated the thing or we survived the thing or Mm -hmm. um we found like you know we became the thing or what have you um the accomplishment in fate is based around the nuggets of story that you create with the game master or that the the turns and the hooks and the twists that the game master puts yeah. in your path. And uh, yeah. and that's really the, the goal that I have with that Mass Effect game is to be able to give everyone playing a chance to say, and then this happens and everybody goes, oh, 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 okay. Oh, I didn't, oh, that'll be fun. And Those or, moments or to, can you know, happen a lot more, I find, in narrative games because they're built to giving right, that's weight the idea. to those sorts of moments right and, and with D, the weight is given to uh, a victor a victorious kind of moment um, which has its own merit for those that value it and moments that juxtapose victory through say mm-hmm. crushing defeat they're on that same scale right there's that sense of of weightiness and okay. of uh of being overcome or overcoming 
Yes. Uh, that isn't the same as a particularly juicy twist to a story, which is a different kind of experience, I mm-hmm. think. And both have their place in both games. Victory matters in Fate, mm-hmm. it, but not it's not always the end-all goal, but it matters. Your characters are, in the end, trying to overcome an obstacle. It's built into the system. But... Or I think. In fact, uh, it's funny you put it that way because fate separates what it can do into four basic actions. One of them right. is overcome, and the other one is something Create that games like yes, that games mm-hmm. like D and D are very bad at, yes. which allows you to directly create and establish something narratively in the world. And Whether that yes. be through saying your character discovers it, or your character makes it, or it's always been around and your character unearths it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's of extremely important for me, not mm-hmm. for everyone, for me. Narrative extremely, collaboration. Exactly. Yeah. The ability to, um, to add something to mm-hmm. the art piece that is more than you just overcoming something. Yeah. And I, I think that's what that gets down to is if you have someone who understands what it is that the group wants, if, they, uh, if they're mining the story that they create within the Dungeons and Dragons game and suddenly mm-hmm. it turns out that the cardinal was secretly a polymorphed dragon the whole time that's a moment within a story right uh, it's totally not a, a mild twist on a Shrek movie somehow or um, yeah, yeah what happens then is you can have either moment within either game but it depends on the willingness of the people involved, particularly the game master who does set the tone for the game, but really for everyone to be willing to tell it. And uh, I think that if you're in a group of people that are looking for victory, maybe you are better suited playing a D&D game. But if you're mm-hmm. looking in a group of people that are looking for victory, but also really want to tell a story, you can make either of those things work for you. If you that's have someone true. that's willing to tell a story and also willing to present you with challenges to overcome. And I think that yeah, the core of any true. good game master is to figure mm-hmm. out what it is that the players want and then make the system do it in a way that lets everyone feel like they're playing the game. I think it will be interesting as this conversation goes forward way beyond us as we are only a part of it Mm -hmm. um, into the years because I think that um, the indie press uh, gaming revolution really showed us that gaming can be so much more and it's possible to think about gaming mm-hmm. and use those thoughts to create new gaming experiences and to inform the ones that you've had wait. i think yes yeah i can't wait to see if anyone is able to make a extremely balanced like large tent pleasing balance between crunch and narrative Mm -hmm. and such a thing where you can make something that has all the combat weight of D and D, but all the, that combat weight is still also social Mm -hmm. combat weight. And there are a lot of not necessarily fate like things, not necessarily D and D like things, but a game that merges these philosophies into a common experience where everyone can kind of have what they want. And to throw it out there for people who truly be amazing for people who are interested in looking into something along those rough lines, I would actually say mm-hmm. check out uh, the Apocalypse World series of games, Apocalypse World, Dungeon World, the Those Worldwide Wrestling RPG. Yeah. Um, they mm-hmm. they run light, but there's a certain amount of, of narrative flexibility, and yet there's a, very, a certain type of structure within them. It doesn't necessarily yeah. fit what you're talking about or be everyone's cup of tea, but we've talked so heavily about just D&D yeah. and if fate If I remember and correctly, and they're a lot like uh, Dogs in the Vineyard system, correct? Have you played? Oh, wait. You may I was going to say, I have no idea uh, what that is. I'm sorry. Um, well uh let us leave this on my ignorance and that incredibly good note um Mm -hmm. go out check out those games um i really enjoyed this conversation i felt like it was a good place for 
uh, me to kind of unpack some of these thoughts. Yeah. Um, without feeling like I'm weighing down the conversation in focus. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's a good it's a conversation that mm, those of us that have a lot of investment in one thing aren't always willing to have. But it's it's a good point. There are, yeah, there's merits to to each of those sides, if you're willing to kind of understand where someone's coming from when they like it. That's that can That's be tough. That's true. I have resolved with this previous friend to do whatever I can to make sure I can have fun at the gaming table with this person. Mm-hmm. Um, but our conversations have shown me more and more that we come from very different places and i've always wondered exactly how to do that without compromising in such a way where both people feel like we're not getting what they want or is having fun no no i want everyone to have fun that's what i like to call in role playing fuck it we're playing riffs and then no one has fun (laughs) (laughs) well gerps everybody i brought 20 source books we're just gonna make it work (laughs) oh my god one of my favorite things about gerps is not having a single GURPS uh, main book in my house, but I think I have seven or eight GURPS source books because the information in them is really detailed. Melissa has this great story where she says uh, she ended up doing a lot of research about Russia using the GURPS Russian source book because it was written by a Russian historian. (laughs) That's brilliant. (laughs) Uh, Oh, God, GURPS. Well, this has been a great conversation. It's been great talking to you. I think we should wrap up because it's getting very close mm-hmm. to my bedtime and I still have a little bit more planning to do for my class yep. tomorrow. Um, yeah. Thanks so for having me if, on. It's uh, a really fun oh, discussion of course, to have. Please. Would you care to join me in a ending um, uh, welcome? Why, of course. Hello and, and welcome, welcome to, to the Ace of Geeks, Geeks podcast. Geeks podcast. Oh. <laughs> um, ben, where can they email us? Well, that'd be A-C-E-O-F-G-E-E-K-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G at gmail.com. At gmail.com. That's Ace of Geese podcasting at gmail.com. It's dot com. It's dot uh, You can find com. us at aceofgeeks.net. We're Ace of Geeks on Tumblr. We're Ace of Geeks on... I think we're also on Imgur. Why do I keep bringing on? Oh, we're Ace of Geeks on Instagram. Thank Twitter. you, hon. We're Ace of Geeks on Twitter. We're Ace of Geeks on Google+. Um, and, of course, we are Ace of Geeks on Facebook, where you can see most of our content put out. Um, a special thanks to Audible for uh, helping uh, us get this episode out there. And our theme song is done by the amazing and incredible... Um, uh, Kessel Run, a band that is not only wonderful, but great people. Just solid set of people. Uh, ben, do you have any closing thoughts you want to end us on? Um, if you want to hear more conversations kind of like this, but with a lot more puns, ah, yes. butt jokes, and Mass Effect references, uh, we're also a podcast on the Ace of Geeks Network. You can check us out on the site if you go up to the podcasts tab. We are called RPOK. And, uh, yeah, we'd love to have everyone around for some more conversations like this and also some much dumber ones. So we're always up for those. And, uh, yeah, yeah, things get super intellectual when I try and throw words around and I, yeah, well, and as Mike says, talking like I'm all smart or something or whatever. And um, things get real dumb when I start mixing in Chris and Zach, my fellow co-hosts on RPO. I would really like to be in on that because I like <laughs> those conversations that. Well, anyway, we'll have to get you in one of these days. It's been very nice having on. Thank you. I would love to come on. 
And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a happy weekend. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.